when I'm tired and weak and I could search this whole world over still you would be everything that I need Lord you're my bread when I'm Sweetest spirit, 
when we came in this church tonight. God has got something really good for this church. I just felt the sweetest spirit, and it was so good to see Sister Elder doing so well, and the, the power of God that was in her room, and it was so sweet. And I just love this church, and I'm thankful for it. I'm going to sing this song for Sister Elder tonight. I know the master of the wind. My boat of life sails over troubled seas. Ever there's the wind in my sail. But I have a friend who watches over me. When the breeze turns into a gale I know the master of the wind I know the maker of the rain He can calm the storm he makes the sun to shine again I know the master of the wind Sometimes I soar like an eagle to the sky Among the peaks my soul can be found But an storm may hide me from the heights it brings me low but it never brings me down for I know the master of the wind and I know the maker of the rain He can calm the storm He makes the sun to shine again I know the master of the wind I know the master of the wind shine again I know the master of the wind my boat of life it sails over the troubled sea ever there's the wind in my sails but I who watches over me and the wind turns into a gale sing it with me I know the master of the wind 
मधुमे I will be what you need me to be when you need me to be. Amen. What do you need God to be? That's what he already is. He is my Jehovah Rophe, which means I am the Lord that healeth thee. You need healing? He's not going to become your healer. I am what you need me to be. When you need me to be it. Amen. He's not going to become our Savior. He already is our Savior. He's not going to become our Deliverer. He already is the Deliverer. Praise God. 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 Folks, I feel the Holy Ghost here. Let's clap our hands one more time. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. The Lord richly bless you. Open your Bible with me tonight to the book of Exodus chapter 1. I'm thankful tonight for those that came with me, brother and sister Lavender and brother and sister Forsythe from our church, and then I've seen a couple of our uh, young people come in. I'm glad they're here tonight. Praise God. And I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad to be with Brother and Sister Elder. And Brother and Sister Elder. I'm here tonight, to be honest with you, because I love them. Amen. I, I just kind of like them. And you can love somebody without liking them. I love them. But I also like them. Can you say amen? I, I count it a tremendous privilege, an honor to be able to stand in his pulpit. As he was leading the worship a few minutes ago, uh, I was a little bit envious his ability to lead a service into this kind of worship. And... Uh, Sometimes God gives some men talent. He doesn't give others, and we have a tendency to be envious. I appreciate the way Brother Elder follows after the Holy Ghost. I don't think some of you realize how good a pastor y'all got. I said, I don't think some of you realize how good a pastor some of y'all got. Amen. Amen. Always remember this. There's somebody else that will appreciate him if you won't. Can you say amen? amen? When you go to camp meeting and you go to conferences and you go any place, anywhere, and um, there's preachers skimming the Milky Ways and pouring the cream out of the galaxies, always remember you only got one pastor. Because when your pastor goes away from home, he pours the cream out. But at home, he has to pastor you folks. And when you go to conferences and you hear men preach, you get all carried away. Remember, they're, they've only got four or five sermons, and they done preached them 47 times, and they got it perfect. But your pastor has to feed you something new every week. Come on now. 
Amen. Before you start making eyes at somebody else, you remember you're in love with your pastor. I tell our folks at home something like this. When you go off to hear somebody preach, just remember I'm still your pastor. And if they preach something your pastor don't preach, you remember I'm still your pastor. I don't care what anybody preaches anywhere they go, you still only got one pastor. And if somebody preaches something that disagrees with what your pastor preaches, you come to your pastor and obey him. Chapter number one. I may lay it on the line, but I got a feeling it's not going to be too big a hurry. I've got 16 pages of notes. I should be through about a quarter to one. And, but y'all used to long preaching anyway, so it ain't going to hurt you. Hallelujah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to look at him. How many of y'all love Brother Elder? Yes, sir. Let's give him a good hand. Would you do that with me right now? <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. The book of Exodus. Brother Elder, can you take a little bass off of me, please? Just to take a little bit of that bass off of me, Brother Tom. Praise God. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel, which came into Egypt, every man and his household. Notice now, came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were 70 souls, for Joseph was in Egypt already. I want you to notice two verses with me, verse 6 and verse number 7. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. I want you to notice tonight that the Lord didn't say they all died and then went on his way, but he broke their death down into three steps. Joseph died. The brethren died. And then all that generation died. I just want you to bear in mind that the Lord didn't say they all died and just kept on going with the word. But he specifically spelled out step by step by step what happened. Joseph died. The brethren died. The generation died. And the children of Israel were what? Fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty and the what? Did you notice it did not say Goshen was filled with them? Why? Joseph died. The brethren died. The generation died. And now the land, Egypt, is filled with them. They're not in Goshen anymore. 
Why? Joseph died. The brethren died. The generation died. And when all of them that were eyewitnesses of the promised land died, they had no reason to stay separate from the land of Egypt. And you can be seated. In the book of Ephesians, there is a unique verse that we have read all of our lives. We have heard people testify about it. You probably have heard it recently. But it says something like this in Ephesians 2 and verse 6. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. There is one little word in that verse that we go over so fast that we don't recognize the meaning of that word. The verse does not say we sit together in heavenly places, but rather it said he hath made us sit together in heavenly places. When the Lord showed this to me, and I combined it with what I've already read to you tonight, something has eat on me for a few days, and uh, if I preach tonight and you feel like I'm taking something out on somebody, please give me that liberty tonight because something is eating at me. I preach this to my church. For a fact, this is the third time that I have preached this. And every time I've come in contact in which I felt the presence of God with someone, the Holy Spirit has seemed to say, you need to tell him what I gave you. I will be honest with you tonight. If you'll allow me to just be honest, I asked Brother Elder if I could come and I could preach here tonight because I have felt this tremendous burden, not just for the church here at Hutchison, but in particularly for brother and sister elder themselves. I know of no one in this country that are greater children of God than the pastor and the wife that God has given to y'all. And they are struggling in their spirit because they're trying to make you sit in heavenly places and you have not been able to recognize what God is trying to do for you. I feel the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to get in a hurry. If I don't preach like an apostolic, that's all right. I know exactly what God wants me to say here tonight, and I'm comfortable with what God wants me to say. I want you to notice that he raised us up together, but he had to make us sit together in heavenly places. Are you getting the picture yet? He raised us up together, but he had to make us, make us. He made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to go back 
with me now to the book of Exodus chapter 1. Actually, I want you to go with me to the book of Genesis chapter number 12. There is a story that we are all familiar with. Very simple. And that is God said to Abraham, I want you to leave the Ur of the Chaldees. That was the Mesopotamian Valley, which was the cradle of ancient civilization. Well watered where the Tigris and the Euphrates River comes together. The most fertile land in the entire world. It was called the Garden of God. And many people believe that that's where the Garden of Eden was. And God said to Abraham, get up. And I'm going to tell you to go into a land that I will show thee. In Genesis 12, we read the story. But the conclusion of that story is not found there, but rather is found in Hebrews chapter number 11. When I read this, I got to scratch in my head because something unique was speaking to me. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, to go out into a place which he should after receive or inheritance, he obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. I, I looked at that and I've done a double take. I, I, I said, wait a minute. He sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. Abraham, when he got to the promised land, after leaving the richest country in the world, and he got to a land that Almighty God, El Shaddai, had promised him, it was not better than the land he came out of. It was actually a land that possessed nothing but sand and sand dunes. And he stood there. He looked around him. There was not rivers of water and gardens of flowers and orchards of pomegranates and figs and olives, but rather there was absolutely nothing there. And he said, wait a minute. This is a strange country. This promise that God has given to me, there's something strange about it. But before he could turn around and go back where he came, from in the corner of his eye he caught a glimpse of something the Bible said in the next verse he looked for a city which have foundations whose builder and maker is God I want to tell you friend if you think you're going to slide your way into heaven you got another thing coming up why because when God makes you a promise he's not going to let you walk in the promise and think that nothing of it but you'll probably to go through the greatest trial of your entire life. Y'all didn't hear me? You didn't hear what I said? You want God to give you a promise? You want God to take you from where you're at right now and give you something better and you obey God and when you get to where God wants you to get, 
you look around and you say, oh no, I've got the biggest war on my hands that I've ever fought. I've got the greatest trial I've ever gone through. I have not really talked that much to brother and sister elder, but I can tell you what the Holy Ghost told me. He said they have fought the biggest battle in the last six months that they've ever fought in their entire life. God spoke to me and said they've gone through the greatest trial that they've ever gone through. They've gone through the darkest moment. They suffered the greatest pain. They've gone through the greatest misery. Wait a minute, folks. What's God trying to say? I brought you to a promise and all you're going to see for a while is just a glimpse of that city. Hey, folks, when you started living for God, he didn't give you streets of gold and he didn't give you walls of jasper. All he gave you was one little glimpse of that city and you've got to make it to heaven on one glimpse you're not listening to me yet I'd live for God if he would knock me down and pour water out of the river of life in my mouth and pluck off one of the 12 fruits and stuff it into my stomach and get about four gallons of that gold and put in my pocket, I'll live for you. The truth of the matter is that God gives you a promise and you usually end up in the desert. You usually end up in the driest place you've ever walked through. I don't know why God does it like that, but that's the way God has set it up. And he said, you gotta walk by faith and you can't walk by sight. Amen. And God said, Abraham, here's your promise. And I can see him as he's looking at the sand. And while he's contemplating how strange this land is. You know, strange could be funny. This funny land. Well, this, this, is, this is ignorant. God, you're El Shaddai. You're Elohim. You're Jehovah Jireh. You're Jehovah Shalom. You're Jehovah Sitkanu. You're Jehovah Makadesh. You're Jehovah this and you're Jehovah that. You, you're the one that spoke worlds into existence. You created the universe. You spanned the universe with the palm of your hand and measured the worlds in the cup of your fingers. And here you are. You gave me a promise. And I look at your greatness and I said, surely if God would give me a promise, he's going to take me to great than Mesopotamia and you brought me here and this is a strange way to bring me to a promise while he was looking at the sand God just kind of picked at him a little more he said alright boy reach down now and pick up some of that sand and he reached down and he picked up a handful of sand and as it was sifting through his fingers God said, thy seed shall be as the sand of the seashore. And Abraham was more confused than ever. And, and as he contemplated it, the sun went down in the western sky. And all of a sudden darkness came and the stars began to shine in the blackness of that desert. 
and he could see for millions and millions of light years. And God said, Abraham, you see all them stars out there that's over your strange promise? He said, thy seed shall be as the stars of heaven. And Abraham, the Bible said, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. What was fully persuaded that what God had promised him, he was fully able to perform. Hey, Hutchison, I'm telling you, God has spoke to me and said, I have given you a promise. I have told you I will bring revival. And I want to tell you right now that my God does not renege on his promises. And he does not turn around on the promises that he gave you. You say, but preacher, you don't understand what we've gone through. Oh, yes, I do. I've been there. I've been in the valley with you. I've been there for the last five and a half months. But listen, folks, when you're in the valley, it's time to preach faith and it's time to believe the promises of God. Shame on some of you. Shame on some of your unbelief. Amen. You played right in the hands of the devil. You've let your tongue cause you trouble. When God was trying to bless you, you hung your head down in the willows and said, how can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? i tell you how. Because this strange land is the promise of God. And the Lord is going to bring the past what he said he would bring the past. Hallelujah. Hang on just a moment. Abraham, right off the bat, had to say, okay, God, I'm going to go to Egypt and buy bread. I'll be back. God brought him back. That land that he didn't think much of, after a few years, began to bloom as a rose garden in the desert. God began to bless it. Everywhere Abraham's foot touched the ground, it became blessed. The sand dunes turned to cities. The cities turned to farms. And the farms turned to abundance. And the land yielded her fruit everywhere his foot touched the ground. God blessed him. There came a time when Lot and Abraham separated. Lot went to Sodom. And five kings came against the king of Sodom took Lot, his family, his herds, and God said, Abraham, get your boys together. 200 and something like 40 or 80 men, I don't remember now exactly how many, got their swords and their shields, and they headed towards the armies of five kings. And the Bible said that that little band of men of Abraham slaughtered the five kings, brought back the spoil, and he stacked it all up in a heap, there was a strange looking man standing there named Melchizedek. And the Bible said he was the priest of Salem. He had neither beginning of days nor end of life. And Abraham came and paid tithe of all to Melchizedek. And oh, I could tell you the other stories of the great conquest of Abraham, but time would fail me tonight. But the truth of the matter is an Isaac came along. But did you know Isaac had the same promise Abraham had? And Abraham's done fought all the battles there is to fight. No, he hasn't. 
Isaac has got a few battles. Because before Isaac receives the promise of God, he has to contend with an Ishmael. You see, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what promise you got. If you're an Abraham, you got to contend with the sand dunes. If you're an Isaac, you got to contend with the Ishmaels. You say, all right, Ishmael fights his battles with the, uh, uh, Isaac fights his battle with Hagar and Ishmael, but receives the promise. And then Jacob comes along. Oh boy, third generation. We're going to slide right into heaven. But there's another problem here. You see, with uh, Abraham and the sand dunes and with Isaac and the Ishmaels, now we've got a Jacob that's got an Esau that he's got to contend with all of his life. You say, Brother Cornwell, is there ever a time that we won't have battles to fight? I don't know. Why don't you ask the great apostle Paul when he sought the Lord three times for a thorn that was in his flesh? And God said, no, boy, I gave Abraham sand dunes. I gave Isaac and Ishmael. I gave Jacob and Esau. And you're going to have your thorns in the flesh. But wait a minute, folks. It doesn't matter if you got an Ishmael or a sand dune or an Esau or a thorn in the flesh that does not change the promise of God. <laughs> my God, my God, my God. It doesn't change the promise. It doesn't change the promise. Folks, there is more Holy Ghost here than I've ever felt in my life tonight. What God has promised, he will fully bring to pass. Every promise God made this church, every tongue and interpretation, every prophecy, it's going to come to pass to the dotting of the I and the crossing of the T. My, 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 my. My God, in the name of Jesus. My subject is sitting in heavenly places. He looked for a city. The Bible said he received not the promise of God, but he saw them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. And he believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. How did Abraham endure the hardship? One glimpse. One glimpse, my friend. One glimpse. Please forgive me now. I'm meddling. I'm meddling. I'm just absolutely meddling. But I am so sick. Are you listening? I am so sick of our preachers having to remind the people every service what God has already promised us. I am so sick of the pastor and the preachers having to say, come on, folks, let's worship God and remind you every service of what God has promised you. You can't shout until you've been worked up. You can't shout until you've been encouraged. You can't shout until somebody has strengthened you. It's time for us to get a glimpse for ourselves. It's time for us to come in and when we're standing on the sand dunes to look up. When we fought our battles with Ishmael to look up. When we fought our battles with Esau to look up. God is tired of us coming to church and taking a half hour before we recognize that he's Lord and he's God and he's still there. My Lord and my God. Come on, Hutchison, I'm preaching to you. 
I'm preaching to you. You may not need this tonight, but you're going to need it down the road. Don't tell me you're a born-again believer if you've got to be primed into worshiping God. Don't tell me you're ready for the rapture if somebody's got to pump you up to be ready. No, sir, friend. The Bible said enter his courts with praise. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Praise God. But you don't understand. My house rent's due, and I don't have the money to pay it. Good. Go crawl out in the street and lay an egg. You think you're the only jerk that's ever had to pay house rent and didn't have the money? No, sir. You're the only ones that have been broke? Go fly a kite. If you'd put a key on it, you'd get shocked to know that we've all been there. But you don't understand. My kids this, my kids that. You ain't the only one's got kids. You ain't the only one that's been broke. You're not the only one that's had a heartache. You're not the only one that's gone through sorrow. I buried 15 fathers and mothers last year. I've watched people suffer under the great hand of grief and sorrow. But hey, folks, let the dead bury the dead. The church of the living God has got to recognize that this is not the life God promised us. He said, I've come that you might have life, but life more abundantly, and that abundant life may not be down here. Come on, preacher. When you preach what I want to hear you preach, I'll clap my hands. I'll dance a little bit. Then I'll worship God. You are a double-barreled hypocrite. You need to learn to worship God no matter who you are, what you've been through, where you're going, or where you came from. How can you say that? Because the Bible said the promises of God are yea and amen to them that believe. You know what the little translation of that means? The promises of God are yes, yes, and yes. They're never no or maybe, but they're always amen. If you're waiting for your ship to come in before you wiggle, you'll never wiggle. And if your ship does come in, it'll be moth-eaten because God didn't send it. Because the ship that's coming in for me is coming in by my faith. It's coming in because I believe. It's coming in because I worship. It's coming in because I stood there and stood the test of time. Isaiah 6. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim with the six wings. And verse 3 said, and one cried unto another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Do you know what the next phrase says? The whole earth is full of his glory. Folks, we're not waiting for revival to come. 
the whole earth is full of his glory. We're not waiting for healing. The whole earth is full of his glory. But you say, preacher, I don't have house rent. The whole earth is full of his glory. I can't buy groceries and put on the table. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can I preach a little more? Old Jacob was born. Him and Esau. You know the story. He stole or bought the birthright for a song and a dance and stole the blessing. His father is dying. Esau is going to kill him. You know what he does? He does what just like I would have done if I'd have had a brother six foot eight, 297 pounds, ugly as an ox, strong as a bear. And here I was, a 143-pound weakling. And all I could tote on my back was the clothes I wore. I'd have done what he done. I'd have run. That's what he done. He ran. 30 years old or older, and he ran. 28th chapter, the book of Genesis. Esau said, I'm going to kill you. Jacob said, you ain't going to have a chance. Hey, friend, I am a firm believer that a live coward is better than a dead hero. Always believe that. Size them up first. Too big, run. Too little, fight. That'll keep you alive a long time. He ran in his first night away from home. Remember, I'm preaching about heavenly places. Found a place, got dark, built him an altar, built him a bed rather, went to sleep. Old Jacob has a dream. This is the craziest dream I've ever heard. He dreams that there is a ladder set up on the earth in the top reached to heaven. And the Lord is standing at the top of that ladder. I've read the story and you've read the story. But have you ever read where the Bible says the angels were ascending? That means they're going up. Going up. Everybody say going up. And they was talking to God and coming down. Strangest thing I ever heard. It seemed to me like they ought to have been coming down and then going back up. But they weren't. They were already on the earth. They were already in the land. Jacob is going through the battle of his life. He's running away from home. He's fixing to leave the promised land. He wakes out of his sleep, remembers his dream, and he says this, Surely the Lord was in this place. And you know what he said? I knew it not. Years and years, I believe that what he was talking about was that God was in his sleep that night and that God was hovering around that little bed where he was at. Not so, my friend. Not even a 14th cousin to that at all. Jacob was saying, 
I'm 30 years old. I have lived with the angels for 30 years. I have lived in a land in which God constructed a ladder from the earth to heaven. I had access to everything that God had in heaven. This is where I'm preaching at now. That ladder had angels going up it and back down it. But no Jacob on the ladder. No Isaac on the ladder. No Abraham on the ladder. The only one that was using the ladder was the angelic beings. And when Jacob woke out of his sleep and he was on his way to a strange land, going to a foreign country, 30 years old, all of a sudden he recognized, for 30 years I lived in the land of promise. I lived where the angels dwelt. I lived in a land that has direct communion with God. I lived in a place where I could have anything in the heavenlies that I wanted. All I had to do was find the ladder and walk up it. But he said for 30 long years I lived where God was and I didn't even know God was there. Folks, I'm trying to get a message across. How many times does God have to remind us he is in our presence? He said, I will inhabit the praises of my people. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. That verse doesn't belong to the once saved or always saviors. That was belongs to the one God apostolic tongue talking born again, heaven bound believers. He's with me. Folks, I'm sorry but I have preached about a half hour and I cannot get the goose pimples off of my body tonight. I am standing in the presence of Almighty God. It seems like right now that I am seeing a vision. I don't know what it is, but it seems like a ladder is set up in the middle aisle of this church and it's going right out through that room. I see angels, an innumerable company of angels that's in this place tonight. Hey folks, I want to tell you something. We need to wake up and recognize we don't need to wait too late to know that God is in our midst. Please let me help you a minute tonight. Let me help you a minute tonight. I'm here because I love you. I'm not here because of sloppy agape. You can say anything about the love of God you want to say, but I'm here tonight because I love you. I'm here tonight because I care. I'm here tonight because this man and that woman are a part of my soul. I'm here because of that woman right there. 
a few months ago, I walked through my trial of life. I walked through the very darkest time of my ever being. I thought when I went through that building program that that was the trial of my life. I thought when the best man that I had in my church came to me and found out he was shacked up with another woman. I thought that was a trial of my life, but it wasn't. God had one greater than that for me. I remember walking to my into my home one evening and I had come out of some situation that I don't care to describe here tonight but I thought I don't want to pastor no more I don't have a friend in this world nobody cares about me not even God is fighting my battles for me right now I want to tell you I had prayed and I had fasted and I had sought God and I came up with an empty hand and I thought God had forsaken me I went through a period of depression I cannot describe in words. It's amazing when you're up how many friends you have around you. But it also amazes me that when you're down how silent your telephone becomes. Have you ever noticed that? When you're needing somebody all of a sudden you think, well, maybe I didn't pay my bill. And you, you just walk by the telephone and pick it up to see if you still got a dial tone. Maybe y'all hadn't done that. I've sat by the telephone hoping, please, God, let somebody call me. Let somebody pick up the phone beside somebody that's in trouble or want me to get them out of jail or repair their marriage or loan them some money. Let somebody call me, God, that had got a problem in the world and just say, Brother Cormel, I love you. You're the greatest fellow in the whole world. Let somebody just call me and tell me one sweet lie. I know I was a wretched, sorry, filthy bum, but, but somebody could risk lying for five seconds and they could get repentance later. Nobody calls. Not when you're in trouble. God locks your telephone up. Everybody forgets your telephone number. I went to the office the next morning. My secretary said, you got a letter. You got a card. I picked it up. Put it in my coat pocket. Walked into my office. Sat down. You ever wanted to cry for, for no reason? You ever wanted to just, I was contemplating resigning. I was contemplating getting out of the ministry. I was contemplating giving it all up. You, you know, y'all ever been there, have you? I had somebody walk in my office. They wanted to let me know that they was leaving the church. I won them to God. Taught them Bible study. Helped them through their problems. Brought them through their crisis. Got them mature, and some jerk comes along and tells them a lie, and they believe it and walk out. He walked in about that time and said, I'm leaving. Just wanted you to know I don't need the church no more. I'm going someplace else. He said, I don't want you to be mad at me. We're still friends, aren't we? I said, No, we're not. I said, What do you mean? I said, It's you, you kind of folks that make me want to quit preaching. You ever been that way? I said, y'all, you, you folks make me sick. I said, you finally get in the place in the, in, the, in the Lord that you can start bringing something back to God. 
And then you want to kick everybody in the teeth. I said, I was loyal to you when you went through your problems. I, I hid people. I hid your sins from people and carried you through your crisis. And when your wife had a tongue four foot long, I've done everything in my power to keep her out of trouble. Buried your dead. And I said, now you're at the place where somebody tells you something and you believe it and you want to leave. I said, I, I, I trusted you. You was my friend. I let you into my life. And I said, you're the kind that makes preaching not worth it. You're the kind that makes pastoring a dirty job. I said, I'm ready to quit. He walked out of my office. I'll contemplating, not, not resigning the church, not going to try out for another one. I contemplated getting out of the ministry. I held the phone book in my hand, wondering where in the yellow pages I could look that I might go apply for a job. At that time, I was willing to take a minimum wage job. I was willing to give up everything. I remember that letter in my pocket. Got it out of my pocket, throw it on the desk, and I noticed it wasn't from the United States. It was from somewhere else. That's from Sister Elder. I opened it. I bowed over my desk and I wept on that card. It was just a little short note. It just said something like this. Brother Cornwell, the Lord showed me in a dream that you was a man of God. I want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. Folks, you don't forget stuff like that. That's where I'm at here tonight. Jacob, 30 years, 30 years, he lived with angels walking beside him. 30 years he lived next to a ladder that was set up on the earth that went all the way to heaven. Brother Elder, can I preach about three minutes? Can I, can I meddle? Would you let me meddle about three minutes? Some of you folks have lived for God half of your life and you still don't know how to go to God for yourself. You know why you have to have a cheerleader to get you before you can clap your hands? When you go through a little trial, you've got to be pumped out of it. It's because you don't know that you're living where God is. That he's with you in the midst of your darkest hour. Sister Becky, you can't tell me you ain't gone through no dark hours. I know you have. But I tell you what God's never done. He's never left you. And he's never forsaken you. And every time you've had a problem and a trial, the Lord scooted that rolling ladder over next to you and said, Come on, honey, climb up to me, and I'll be what you need me to be when you need me to be. Folks, I'm preaching to this church tonight. God has made you some promises. He's given you access into the heavenlies. He's put a ladder beside you. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost this
Mandolo Bokuriva Satana Namohoshata. I want you to listen to me just a moment. I want to tell you, I've been in Wichita nine years. And the Holy Ghost I feel in this pulpit tonight is stronger than any Holy Ghost I have ever felt in the city of Wichita. I'm telling you that there are some saints that are dead and in the grave that prayed prayers years ago that God has not forgotten one of their prayers. I'm going to tell you somebody interceded for this city many long years ago. And I'm going to tell you God has not forgotten their prayers. They're stored up in a vial tonight. And God's about to take the lid off of those prayers and pour them out as a sweet incense before his nostrils. I'm going to tell you that God's going to do things that you're going to say, wait a minute, we never asked God for that. I know you didn't, but somebody else did. And God's going to answer those prayers. And God's not going to leave one stone unturned. You're going to see men and women come to God in the city of Hutchison that you never dreamed would come to God. The angel of the Lord is even this very moment walking the streets of this city. And he is preparing hearts. And he is preparing souls. And God is going to bring it to pass. My Lord and my God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Jacob was not used to being in the presence of God. He lived in it all of his life. He was there all the time. But God couldn't recognize, he couldn't recognize him. Let me preach about five more minutes and I'll stop tonight. I just want to cover one more thing and I'll stop. Joseph died and all his brethren and all that generation. But there's a story that's worth bringing to your attention for just a moment. In the 49th chapter of Genesis, And verse 29, Jacob remembered the ladder. Jacob went back to Israel 20 years later. This is the second time he left the promise. I want you to notice something. Jacob had a habit of walking away from promises. Have you ever noticed that when you once walk away from the promise of God, it's easier to walk away from the next promise? He called his kids together. In verse 29 of chapter 49, he charged them and said unto them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for possession of a burying place. He made him promise. The first time he left the promise, he was able to go back 
The second time he left the promise, he never went back alive. Let that speak what it needs to speak. He said, I'm not going back to the promise, but don't bury me in Egypt. I want you to notice something. You've already read ahead of me. You know a Pharaoh's coming that doesn't know Joseph. You know there's going to be years of bondage. You know the babies are going to be killed. You know the story of how God's got to deliver them out of Egypt. You've read ahead of me. You know the story that's in front. But did you know that while they was in the land of Egypt, when Jacob died, the Bible said they carried him back to Israel, back to the promised land. Notice with me, please. They carried Jacob back to the cave, back to the promised land. But they had been away from the promise so long they didn't even know what it was. They didn't even know what it was. They left their little ones behind. They left their flocks and their herds behind. There was a great host that marched out of Egypt. All of them could have went they had the opportunity to go back to the land of promise, but they didn't. They could have took their possessions and their children, and they could have said to Pharaoh, Jacob wanted us all to go home when he died. He would have let them go home. They got down to the promised land. It wasn't sand dunes. It was a beautiful land now. They walked on land conquered by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When they got there, they didn't stop to think where they were at. They didn't take time to smell the roses. They didn't take time to say, this is the land of promise. No, 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 no. Let's get, get there and get back. Let's just go to church and get home. Come on, preacher. Sing your three song. Preach your sermon. Let's get home. Belong on this long church. They buried him in the promised land, and they didn't even hardly know they were there. Those that came with them that had never been to the promised land before, they never stopped and said, hey boys, this land has history to it. This is the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. No, sir. All they wanted to do was go to a graveyard and come home. Go to a graveyard and go home. Go to a graveyard and go home. Let it speak to you there for a moment. They went back to Egypt, and the rest is history. Then Joseph died. Joseph, Joseph. You know the boy that was in Israel and went to Egypt because of his brothers? Then his brethren died. Brethren? Yeah. Them 11 cats that sold him into Egypt. Them 11 cats that lived in the promised land almost all of their life.
They died. Then the brethren died. Who's that? That's Reuben's children. That's Judah's children. That's Issachar's children. That's Dan's children. That's them little tots. That's part of them 70 that came out of the promised land and went down to Egypt. All of them died. And suddenly there was the people of God in a strange land that had never been in the promise of God before. What are you saying? I'm telling you all over our country there are churches that are going through the motion but no one there knows anything about the promise of God. They don't know God heals. They don't know God saves. They don't know God delivers. They don't know the power. I'm not talking about the Baptists. I'm not talking about the Catholics. I'm talking about one God, folks. No one in the congregation are eyewitnesses of, of the majesty of Christ. I'm wearing you, and I'm almost through. That generation died. I can see them remembering Old Jacob, in his dying days, call his grandkids to him and say, son, let me tell you the story of Isaac and Abraham. But there came a time when there was no one left to tell the story. There came a generation that knew nothing about heavenly places. They knew nothing Nothing, 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 nothing about heavenly places. My God, I feel some Holy Ghost here. Some of your children won't know anything about heavenly places. You know why? Because coming to church is a ritual. The preacher's got to keep you encouraged. You're too lazy to know God for yourself. You won't pray on your own. The preacher's got to beg you to pray. He's got to call a fast before you fast. If somebody says something about you, you fly off the handle. You stay bent out of shape half the time. You know what's wrong? Your children one day are going to be raised and they're going to know nothing about the promises of God. It bothers me, it plagues me, it upsets me, and it disturbs me that there are people sitting on our pews. If a miracle happens, fine. If it don't happen, fine. If somebody gets the Holy Ghost, good. If nobody gets the Holy Ghost, no problem. If the baptistry is full, good. Let the preacher keep it full. If it's empty, no problem. Somebody probably get drowned in it anyway. And we go through life with a don't care attitude. And the problem is we don't know that there's a promised land somewhere where there's a ladder reaching to heaven. And there's angels going up that ladder and down that ladder. We don't know that God stands there to give us whatever we have need of. I gotta quit. Let's stand together. Everybody say Pentecost. Come on now, everybody say Pentecost. 120 in the upper room.
I tell me they got the Holy Ghost that morning. And before the day was over, 3,000. But you know what? We have been out of the promised land so long that we don't even believe those stories anymore. You say, Brother Cornwell, you don't understand. We're just holy rollers on the backside of the, uh, the track somewhere. The Bible said they were the off-scour of the world. The Bible said he chose the poor to be rich in faith. It's not what kind of clothes we have on our back or the kind of houses we live in. It's what's going on under the fifth rib that counts. I was in one city and I was preaching this and I made a great mistake telling the story I'm just going to tell you. I made a mistake. When I told the story, I should have closed my Bible and sat down and forgot it. It had that kind of impact on the service. 120 in the upper room received the Holy Spirit. It was noise abroad. The multitude came together. 3,000 received and were baptized. Look at me. I'm going to give you the same opportunity. Look at me eye to eye. Look at the white of my eyes tonight. Last year, I went to El Salvador. The first night, 20, got the Holy Ghost. The second night, 96, got it. The third night, the preaching was over. The missionary who had been interpreting was explaining to the people how to repent. He was saying, you got to lay your sins down. You got to quit your drinking, smoking, and running around. You got to get your heart right with God. You got to turn away from the world. You got to live right. And he said, now I want everybody that wants to repent to lift your hands and repent right now. He did. And he said, now listen, we don't have room for everybody. All I want to come to the front is those that have never had the Holy Ghost, have never been baptized in Jesus' name. And he took a long time to explain, I don't want nobody else down here but them folks. And you want the Holy Ghost and you want to live for God. I watched when he finally said you can come. 3,000 people. It took 20 minutes for the people to get to the altar. Shoulder to shoulder, front to back. There were 200 preachers. And when those 200 preachers came to pray for that multitude, that 250 preachers looked like nobody. There was over 125 standing side by side across the front. And when that little uh, band of preachers could only pray for two rows, 
They was almost 150 deep. You couldn't even walk among them. I started weeping. I said, God, 3,000 standing at I saw it with my own eyes. The last church I told this in, when I told it, it ended the service. They locked their minds out. It killed everything. I was there. I saw it for myself. You know what the missionary told me? He said, Brother Cornwell, y'all don't need to go home and tell what y'all saw here. I'm having enough problems without y'all going home and saying this happened. I've been accused of lying enough without y'all going home and adding to my misery. And the missionaries ask us not to tell it. They're crazy as a bat if they think I'm going to hold that in. I said, God, how in the world is this going to happen? There's not even enough preaching. We can't even get in the crowd. And I listened, as Brother Howell said, in Spanish, everyone lift your hands down and begin to praise Jesus that's repented of your sins. I watched them little brown hands go up. I was standing there, two other pastors standing beside me. Nobody had to tell me what happened. There was a bench behind me. Simultaneously, we was knocked to the bench. Literally knocked down. Tears were squirting out of my eyes. I tried to stand up, and my legs were like rubber. What in the world is going on? And I couldn't speak English. I tried to say something and couldn't. All I could do was speak in tongues, fluent, driving, forceful. When I finally came to myself, I realized I watched people, all of that audience, most of them Roman Catholic, most of them sinners, lifting their hand. They was dancing, laying on the floor. I looked at Brother Howell. He was standing there. He was drenched with tears on his shirt and face. I said, Brother how? It happened. I was beside myself. When we got the crowd settled down, he said, those that received the baptism of the Holy Ghost and you spoke with other tongues for the first time, we want you to lift your hand and hold them. And they got to counting. 1,300 received it at one time. I saw it with my own eyes. I'm an eyewitness of the majesty of Christ. The next night, 1,700 received it the same way. They baptized in a, in a horse tank for hours to baptize the people. People jumped in the baptistry with their street clothes on, tears running down their face, grabbing preachers' hands and putting it on their head and then going in the water by themselves. In two nights, over 3,000 received the Holy Ghost. 
Brother Character, one of these days I'm going to be old and gray-headed and stoop-shouldered if the Lord tarries. I'm going to be able to wrap my arms around my young'uns and say, Scott and Jesse's son, let me tell you, the days of revival are not over. God said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Hey, folks, we're standing in the heavenly places. Some of you parents need to go home and you need to deal down with your children and say, honey, let me tell you what God's done in my life. If you don't do it, your children are going to be in a place where they know nothing about the heavenly places. The promises of God are yea and amen. The promises of God are yea and amen. I'm telling you, every foul, unclean spirit in this place is warned against me tonight. And I take dominion over every foul, unclean, dirty, unbelieving, doubting spirit in the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hey, folks, there's a ladder in the center aisle tonight. The angels are walking our streets, and they're walking our aisles here tonight. Lift your hands. Lift your hearts. Lift your spirits. My God, my God, my God, my God. My God, my God, my God. Receive the Holy Ghost. 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 Look at me, Anna. Look at me, honey. You are going to witness a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. God is going to pour out the Holy Ghost in your presence, and you're going to know that God is speaking to you.